0: We've been looking at the book of Titus, the instruction that we have as believers, and today we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 3, the rich and the deep truths. You may remember last week as as we were reading through the, the passage, there was this one long sentence in there, and I said, I'm not going to try and parse through all the the details of that sentence because there's so much richness in it. That's what we're we're going to be literally looking at one sentence of scripture today for the message. Obviously, we're going to look at other things, but one sentence in this letter to Titus that Paul wrote that that carries these these deep and rich truths of who we are in Christ, what, what are the blessings that, that are ours in our salvation. And this is following on the basic commands for daily living that we have as Christians where we looked last week at, we're commanded, be submissive to authorities, be obedient, be ready for good works, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle and courteous, and as some of you noted afterward, that raised questions. Well, what about civil disobedience? What about standing against an unjust government? Where does all that fit? We're going to come back to that. Okay, We'll have a whole series just on that. But one of the things I I wanted to do, first of all, I want to finish going through Titus because we're almost at the end of the book. And I I, I want to visit this theologically rich and deep sentence that we introduced uh, last week in verses 4 through 7. So if we, if we read uh, those verses in Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This sentence addresses God's goodness and mercy to us in our salvation. And it lays it out as this is the pattern for and the reason for us to offer the very same things to others. All those things that we looked at before where we're told to give honor, to be in submission to authorities and and to to give honor to other people and to speak ill of no one. and We have all of these things and and we hear it and we say, yeah, but, right? But what if they don't deserve it? What if, you know, they treat us ill? What if all of these things? And, And one of the things we've got to realize is the whole premise of what Paul is writing here is And you didn't deserve it from God either. If you didn't deserve it from God, and He gave it to you anyway, you think you can give it to one another. That's the the basic premise of it. I want to reread, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, and then go back again through the part the part I just read because it all has to flow together. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For, here's the because, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Anyone in this room not fitting in that category of, yep, that used to be me? That's, that's the category. It's like, that is who we were. Notice the next word. But, verse 4, but... When, when we think through the, the, the rich theological truths there of all that God has done for us in Christ with the background, with the knowledge of and he did this when I was foolish and disobedient and rebellious and he loved me anyway. It ought to help us when we think about so how am i supposed to treat others right we treat others the way god treated us that's the the premise in fact isn't that the golden rule right treat others the way you want to be treated well how do you want god to treat you when you're foolish disobedient rebellious etc with mercy and grace and kindness and forgiveness so then how ought we ought to treat others right it all fits in there, and so as we think through the basic commands that we are given in this passage, we can categorize them all as giving honor and showing grace to others regardless of extenuating circumstances. That is the basic rule. Roger is there such a thing as the basic rule in law enforcement and law <laughs> <laughs> if it's not written down, it doesn't count. But you know, there, there are basic things that we know are, this is right, and there's no but with it, right? I, I mean, that's, I, I remember from years back, driver's ed, basic rule, <laughs> right? All right, reasonable and prudent. I remember when Montana did away with their speed limit, and they said, well, reasonable and prudent. Who gets to decide whether you are reasonable and prudent? The officer does. (laughs) Right? It kind of goes back to the basic rule. Well, what is the basic rule that God gives us? Give honor and show grace. That's the basic rule. We must understand the foundation of the basic rule, the application of the basic rule, before we can examine any exceptions to the rule. Right? All those yeah buts or what ifs that were raised last week with, wait, wait a minute, we're, we're to submit to those in authority and, and honor those that are uh, ruling over us, and, but yeah but what, yeah but what? No, let's talk about basic rule first. We can't go to the yeah buts until we know we have a solid foundation of what is the basic expectation that God has for us and what has God done for us why are we to give honor and grace to others because God gave honor and grace to us he showed us grace when we were foolish and disobedient and all these things and so now I want to dig into what are some of the theological depths of God's mercy as expressed in these verses that we just read in verses 4 through 7 the first thing it talks about is Goodness and loving kindness. This is what God showed to us in Christ. And depending on your translation of the Bible, you have slightly different uh, wording on this. Uh, in the ESV, this word goodness is sometimes translated kindness. Maybe that's the way your Bible has it translated. But, but this word goodness or kindness, really it's not talking about attitude, it's talking about action. It is expressed in the actions. The very same word is found in Romans 2.4 where it says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. That is God's intention. I mean, think about, even go back to the Old Testament. How often was the nation of Israel disobedient, and rebellious against God, and God responded with kindness and mercy. Right? Why? Because he He didn't want to destroy them. He wanted to restore them. So His goodness, His kindness, was intended to help them see their sin, how they had wronged Him, so that they would repent, turn back to Him. That's the way He treats us. Then we also find in Ephesians 2.7, God says that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I, I read that, and it, it really struck me. God has a plan. He wants to do, if you will, a PowerPoint presentation at some point in the future. And I don't know who the audience is. We're not told in the Scripture. But in the coming ages, God has a plan. He wants to put on display the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ. Maybe this is when we get to heaven, when we are all in his presence and we are worshiping him and we're so thankful for all that he did, and then he's going to say, oh, wait a minute. You still don't really have a clue. Let me open up your eyes and show you how rich and deep it really is beyond that which you could understand while you were still on this earth. Maybe that's the way it is. Maybe it's to the angels. As as we lay our crowns before God and worship Him uh, in, in response for all of His goodness and the rewards that He gives us, maybe then He's displaying to the angels, who the Bible says desire to look into the things of salvation, Maybe it's to them that he's going to display the immeasurable riches of his grace. Maybe it's to the devil and his rebellious angels as part of their punishment and his revealing to them of this is what I was doing. This is the battle and this is the result. We don't know all of the whys, but what we do know is that God says, oh, there is coming a day that I want to show off. How kind, how good I was in granting salvation. God desires to show that off. His immeasurable riches in his goodness, his kindness toward us. We deserved punishment for our sins. And yet, God extended kindness, giving us good things even to the extent of offering forgiveness. For our sins, then we go to this second one, loving kindness, and and this word, loving kindness, literally is the word philanthropy. God wants to display His philanthropy to us. Well, philanthropy we understand as doing good. So, two different words that both talk about the actions, the doing of goodness or kindness, right? And, and philanthropy, uh, we, we think about, you know, Jesus went about doing good, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, welcoming the outcast. Isn't that still the way we think of that word philanthropy? Those who are without, we help because we care, because we can. And it says, God has done this for us. We are the outcast. We are the helpless. We are the gutter dwellers. And God said, here, let me help you. Let me bring you in. And so, I, how deep and rich is that? God did that for us and says, now do it to others. Because that is what I have done for you. And he continues to show this kind of goodness and loving kindness today it wasn't just back then this is a continuing theme of his work and then verse 5 tells us what is the the true application of that goodness and kindness his his mercy he saved us <laughs> that word saved i mean when we, <clears throat> when we think of the word saved you know we think rescue we we think forgiven, but the word saved literally means to heal or to make whole. Sin is a destructive force in our life. It leads to death, right? The wages of sin is death. God says, the soul that sins, it shall die. He told Adam, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. (laughs) Sin is not an easy thing. It is a deadly thing. And when we talk about being saved, we need to remember that that salvation is more than, quote, just being forgiven of our sins. It is restoring all of what sin took away. It is fixing what sin broke. We're we're talking about being restored to a perfect wholeness with God. What was it like when man was first created? When God, before all of these other things, but when it was just God and his creation and man as the crown of his creation, what was God's intent with man? What was the status there? Think what we're looking at here. Man was created in what? The image of God, in the likeness of God, and with the capability of relationship with God. And that's the picture that we see initially in the garden. That mankind had this perfect oneness relationship with God. Where God could come to the garden and walk with Adam in the cool of the day. And they enjoyed intimate fellowship friendship, and then what happened? Sin broke that. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, obviously we can talk through the, the theological things of, okay, what immediately happened uh, with, with respect to the spiritual connections and, and everything else, but when God came into the garden that day, what happened? What did Adam and Eve do? They hid. Well, this is a new thing. And God said, Adam, why are you hiding? Right? Why didn't you come when I called you? Did you eat of the fruit? And of course, Adam didn't want to just admit that he had done. Well, this woman. (laughs) And she said, well, yeah, yeah, but that serpent. And then we had this whole blame game But it broke their relationship. It broke what God intended. And of course, then we have all the consequences of sin as God declared to them, this is what the curse will bring. And we're still dealing with all of that today. And so in saving us, God is restoring all those things that were destroyed by sin. The image of God that was intended to be in us but was marred, by sin, the sickness and the sorrow, disease and death that has come into our lives, all of of the conflict in this world that we see today in the news, it's because of sin. And when when we read that God saved us, it's saving us from that conflict that is the result of sin. God's act of salvation reverses the things sin brought, restores us to all that God intended for us. And in fact, as we think of this idea of salvation as restoring, healing us, making us whole again, made me think of a very famous passage of scripture that I think probably many of you could quote, the 23rd Psalm. In verse 3 of the 23rd Psalm, it tells us He restores my soul. He saves our soul. That's the idea. Refreshed, restored, made whole once again. We're going to be looking at more results of that in in just a little bit. But before we get to that, again, as we're looking through this, so when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Verse 4. He saved us. And then it gives us a reminder. A very important reminder. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Okay, This wonderful gift of salvation. Of this goodness and kindness. Philanthropy. Restoration. Salvation. This is not because of anything that we did. It is by His mercy not because we earned it, not because we worked for it, not because we deserved it, none of those things. It was all according to his mercy. And that word mercy carries with it the idea of pity, having compassion on someone who is helpless. Mercy describes God's attitude toward those who are in distress because of sin. Ephesians 2.4 says that God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And Romans uh, 15.9 says that we should glorify God because of his mercy. See, God who created us, who is holy and perfect and and all-powerful and loving and kind, When we violated him, and his justice said death, his mercy said, "I've been waiting." I made them. I loved them. I want more for them. And so, I, I hope I'm not going beyond propriety to say this, but God was fighting with Himself. I must judge sin. I don't want to kill them, right? And so what we read these scriptures, and I'm not going to walk through them this morning, but but we read these scriptures that talk about before the foundation of the world, God had a plan, right? I mean, before sin even entered into the picture, God already knew sin is going to come in. My righteousness, my justice will demand payment for that sin, and this is the payment, it's death. However, I love my creation. I love these people that I made in my image, and therefore I will make a plan of salvation, of restoration, of mercy. Mercy will triumph over judgment. So God's not really arguing with himself. He had the plan from the beginning. But, but you see how, w- from our perspective, it's like, well, okay, how do I uphold my holiness, uphold my justice, and yet show love and mercy? See, that was a mystery that, that the Jews didn't understand in the Old Testament. How can this be? But it was revealed to us in Christ. And so we glory in God because He has shown us His mercy when we think through some of the other things that the Bible tells us about God's mercy, Luke 1.50 tells us a prerequisite. It says that his mercy is for those who fear him in every generation. It's not just free. God says, if you fear me, and of course we can go back to the book of Proverbs and how much it talks about the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, right? The fear of God is this realization of He is the holy God. He is the judge of sin. He is all-knowing. We can't hide anything from Him. And we are going to have to answer to Him. That's the basis of the fear of God. And God says, when in your sin, in your rebellion, in your foolishness, these things that we read, when you respond to that knowledge with fear. Oh Lord, I don't want to be punished for this. Please forgive me. See, that's the response. And God says, I will respond with mercy when you respond with fear. When we recognize our guilt, when we recognize our deserved judgment for our sins, then God's love acts in mercy toward us. So what is the act of loving kindness that that we're told here in this passage, there are two things. The washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Again, verse 5, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, He gives us Washing. When we acknowledge our sin, our guilt, we cry to Him for help. In His mercy and love, He cleanses us. He gives us a new birth, a new life, this washing of regeneration. The word regeneration literally means a new birth, an again birth. He, he washes us from this old life of sin into a new life, a new birth. That's an act of God in our salvation. And it's a work by the Holy Spirit who was given to us richly, abundantly through Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples uh, before his death where he, he said, I am going away. Because if I don't go away, what can't happen? The Holy Spirit can't come. Because I will, you know, the Father will send him in my place at my request. And he will be with you and in you. So the Holy Spirit is a gift of God poured out richly through Christ. <clears throat> this renewal of the Holy Spirit talks about a, a fresh working of his spirit in us. Enabling us to live our lives for Him, for His glory. Live lives of obedience by the working of the Spirit. Enabling us. What is the result of this regeneration and renewal in our salvation? Then it tells us in verse 7, so that being justified by His grace, justified, declared righteous and holy. What was the first description of us in this passage? Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's the description. That's who we are in ourselves, in in our natural state. And God says, but in Christ, I declare you righteous and holy. All of that is wiped away in Christ. It is a judicial act by God. We who were previously guilty sinners deserving of God's judgment are not only treated with grace and kindness, but in saving us, He declares us to be holy, perfect in His eyes. And of course, this is through His grace. Grace is an undeserved favor then what comes next? Once we are declared righteous, then he says, and we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. An heir is one who inherits the family property. Our inheritance is life eternal with God as his children. We get God. We get heaven. We get... All the things that come of being children of God, that's the hope of eternal life. That is our inheritance. In one sentence, there are so many rich theological truths that have been presented. God's goodness, His kindness, His mercy which saved us, the washing, the the giving us a new life by the Spirit, in order that we might be declared righteous by grace, that we would become heirs with a real hope of eternal life. We've received all that from God. But what does this tie in with? Remember what we're told at the beginning? Why is this important for us to know? Because it's based on this, of how God did all of this for us while we were still sinners. He says, now you treat others the way I treated you. Give mercy. Give kindness. Give goodness. Give honor. Give respect. Give obedience to others that you might be able to draw them into a saving faith. To understand this is how God treats us if we come to Him for forgiveness. If we come to Him in the fear of His judgment. If we come to Him in, in faith, knowing, God, You are so good to me and I don't deserve it. God intends for us not only to live for Him, for His glory and, and you know to be giving back to Him the, the praise and the service and everything that belongs to Him, But then he also intends for us to be outwardly serving him, reflecting him, showing his grace, showing his love, showing his mercy to others. And that is exactly what Paul said here to Titus. Teach this in the church. Remind people of these things because this is living the life not just about us and God. It's us and God and then us introducing God to others to bring them to God. And then they join with us in worshiping God and serving God and we are encouraged and then, I mean, think about it. This this body of believers, isn't that exactly what has happened? Right? And so we gather together so we encourage one another to live for God and to tell others about God and we invite others to learn about God, and meet God, and serve God, and believe God, and then they join and are encouraged, and they grow, and then again we go out and we tell others. And that's God's plan. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God commands all men everywhere to repent, right? We, we have these scriptures, we know this, and we've been giving, given a command. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, preach the good news. That though we are sinners, God loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? That's the message. We've received it. We ought to be able to live it and give it to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. For your goodness, your kindness, your grace, your mercy. That you have poured out so abundantly upon us. That even though we were foolish and disobedient, wicked. You still loved us and you sent your son to die for us. To give us salvation if we would respond to you with that confession of sin, with, with that uh, seeking of, repent, of, of forgiveness. Father, we pray that you would help us to show to others the grace that you have shown to us. That we would be ever mindful of how richly we are blessed in Christ and to be a blessing to others for your sake, for your glory, that we might draw them to you, introduce them to your saving grace. Thank you for allowing us to serve you in this way. And we ask that you would guide us, help us to live our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. To close our service, we're going to sing a song again. It's not in the hymnal. and It's been a while since we've done... This one it's called his robes for mine. And and it talks about this great exchange that happens in our salvation <laughs> that you know though we were clothed in sin we received Christ's righteousness because of his love and his mercy. Let's stand together.